Try to imagine this scenario. You've just shipped the big, ambitious sequel to your cult hit. The publisher that just put that out suddenly goes under. You are bought by another company, and then that kind of goes under too. It's the story of Vigil Games, unfortunately, the creators of the cult hit Darksiders that went on to create Darksiders 2. Not long after that, THQ spiraled out of control. Uh, Vigil Games was acquired by Crytek to work on stuff in Texas, and then that kind of fell apart when Crytek hit financial woes that have been well documented, and uh, Crytek USA, as their studio was called, transitioned to engine development, which meant a lot of the creative staff kind of went running for the hills, looking for something new to do, Uh, and that included uh, some of the founders of Vigil Games. They've kind of split off to do several different things. Some of them went to go do gunfire games, um, and uh, two of them, uh, Ryan Stefanelli and Joe Matarera, um, you might know Joe from a lot of his work in the comics world, um, and he was responsible for kind of establishing the, the look that was so unique to Darksiders. Um, Ryan and Joe have uh, split off to do something called um, Airship Syndicate. Uh, they're working on something called Project X, which they wouldn't tell me very much about, but promised it was a character-driven storytelling adventure with some RPG elements, and that was about as, as specific as they would get, even though they promised a reveal would be coming uh, sometime in the next couple of months. But uh, I got on Skype with them to chat about why they decided to split off to do their own thing, what the ambitions are for the studio, and how they're trying to recapture some of the magic that Vigil had when it got started with just a couple of guys. So uh, enjoy my interview. Yeah, unfortunately, we're not talking about Darksiders 3, but that's okay. <laughs> not yet. No, yeah, we're not. <laughs> <laughs> yes, no, unfortunately, it's not Darksiders. That much we can confirm. <laughs> Or is it? Yeah, we'll just keep alluding to it, even though we, we can't, because it's not. But. Yeah, we just dubbed the game Project X right now, so it's, uh, you know, hopefully that doesn't give too much away. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, so why don't we, I guess, just start with basics. Why don't you get me up to speed on on what you guys have, have been up to? Yeah, uh, well, Joe's been working on some comic stuff. He can probably tell you about that. And up until very recently, I was with um, Vigil Guys at Crytek working on Hunt. Horrors uh, of the Gilded Age. I was principal designer on that. And then when Crytek started looking unstable, Joe and I had had an, we'd thrown out the idea sort of off and on about something cool we thought we'd like to work on together. And Joe had left Vigil um, shortly after Dark Shadows 2 wrapped. It was before, before THQ folded. And so we'd kind of casually had conversation about something cool we'd like to do. And then when the Crytek situation started to go the direction it did, we thought, all right, let's, let's give it a try. We've done it before. Let's, let's do it again. And so I left Crytek probably about a month before, you know, things really um, got kind of gnarly there. And Joe and I started uh, working on this. We put this together, formed the company Airship Syndicate, and have been kind of in stealth mode, working on details for the first project. And... Uh, Joe's brother, Steve, Steve Matarera, is, is on with us as well as an animator. And so it's the three of us putting together the concept, going through the motions, trying uh, uh, trying to get the thing off the ground. Yeah, and we didn't hire him just because he's my brother, by the way. <laughs> not, not he actually was one of the key animators on both Darksiders games. He, he did, like, most of the bosses on both games. Pretty, mm. I think all of them on the first one. Yeah, but right. he handled like all the and the horses too. Like the hardest crap fell to him all the yeah. time. So he happens to be like, a, you know, just a, a powerhouse. Yeah. Otherwise, I would disown him from the family. But <laughs> <laughs> he's a senior animator, of Vigil, and he's here with us now. 
So, so Joe, you know, you you left right as kind of like Darksiders Two was wrapping. Like, what what was the motivation there? Were just to to get back to you know what you got to you know into in the first place was just kind of focusing on comics. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't really to focus on comics per se. I just I knew uh, like probably midway through uh, you know Darksiders Two that I wasn't going to stay on for another one and that had more to do with not the franchise itself but just you know things within the company things that you know thq like stuff i would rather not get into but it was just i knew for me it was time to move away from vigil and you know i did have an outstanding contract with marvel to do some comics and comics is always sort of where i go to just recharge and like you kind of like you know you work by yourself and you just kind of like it's where i sort of gather my (laughs) strength for the next thing and uh so when people assume that i was leaving games that it was it wasn't that at all i do think that you know it's no secret you know vigil grew i mean we started with four guys uh, much like we're doing now and at at one point we we, i think we had over like 200 people you know we were doing the 40k mmo as well Mm -hmm. And it, it kind of dawned on me that it, the most fun part of game development for me is when the studio is small and you don't have a lot of outside pressures, you know, from publishers or marketing teams or whatever. Um, not that that's a bad thing necessarily, but it is what happens when, you know, you get a project of, of a certain size and scale and, one of the things Ryan and I had always talked about was, you know, like we sort of lamented the early days of Vigil when we were just, you know, 20 guys in a tiny office, you know, just we weren't having meetings. We didn't have managers. We just would like look at, you know, across the room and be like, hey, come look at this. Um, and we've always kind of felt like, man, wouldn't it be cool if we could make smaller games? You know, a lot of the games that we, get excited about now are like smaller indie projects and i just constantly have this feeling like man you know people are doing it like you can do it you can make these smaller games with a smaller team um and you know like you can still make money doing it it's not like we just you know basically if we could do a passion project like our passion project where every day is fun and we're working on something that gets us super excited and like keep it small where it just doesn't you know grow out of control like that is like very appealing to me personally and i think that's you know what why we feel like we have to do it now i feel like the industry has opened this window now where you know you have smaller teams doing like really awesome stuff yeah, pe- people are into smaller games it's cool now and i think the focus the easiest way to to i think summarize what we want to try and do is uh, there are so many awesome indie games out now, and it's kind of, you sort of walk this fine line if you say we want to be just an indie studio. What we're really looking to do is high-quality execution on a smaller scale. Games that are a little bit smaller in scale, they're a little bit more intimate, um, and it's something that we can do, yeah, in, in, a, in a smaller studio setting. It also makes the business side of it a little bit more manageable. You know, I think uh, the business can be a little bit more sustainable if you keep things small. But small studios are just fun. You know, small groups of guys are hanging out it's, it's, it's a good time, and we, we had a lot of fun doing that at Vigil, and uh, I think we want to try and recapture some of that magic. But keep it there. Hit that sweet spot where, again, we're executing high level, 
but it's just on a, a smaller scale so that we can build everything we need to with, with a small group of guys still do some cool stuff. Yeah, and that's be, what Project would, X is going to be. It would be cool to not spend, you know, four or five years on one game. <laughs> well, I have to imagine that's sort of the, you know, part of the appeal, you know, going back to comics is just like the smaller or, or just, you know, what you guys are working on with Project X and whatever else you do at, this, at the studio is smaller scope stuff that ships, you know, in 12 to 18 months or, or fewer, even fewer times than that, where it's just regardless of how it turns out, at least it's out and you can move on to the next thing and you can iterate in a way that you just cannot do on projects that take three to five years. Yes. You're high execution, but you're leaner, you're meaner. You definitely turn the projects around more quickly. Um, you can probably get away with some things that are a little riskier because the, you know, the investment isn't as great. So you can take chances. We're always, we tended to be kind of conservative with some of our decisions on Dark Shadows. We did a lot of ambitious stuff, but individually, a lot of the decisions were kind of, some of them were kind of conservative uh, because we were spending a lot of money, right? THQ was putting a lot, had a lot on the line with Dark Shadows. And so you can kind of do some stuff that's a little bit more um, insane with, with smaller scope stuff. So those, those things are things we're excited about. It obviously presents its own set of challenges. Um, you you have to be very careful with with your hiring. Each decision is very meaningful because you only have a limited amount of money. There's there's not as much wiggle room to make up for mistakes if you make them. So you got to be on point. You got to be conservative with some of your uh, with some of the you know the, the business side of it. But still, we just I think that lean, mean, high quality uh, style of game making is what we want to what we want to achieve. And, and so I know you're not talking you know super specific about you know the game itself but uh, is this something that has been kicking around for a while that this was the like the the right form to tackle it or or is it something that was born out of hey we want to make something together again let's let's see what happens i think it's both to be honest like i it was always sort of like the wouldn't it be cool if <laughs> uh project that kept you know even even when we were you know brainstorming what we you know possibly could do as a smaller team it was always uh it was always like there so uh it's hard to talk about without giving too much away but it's uh, <laughs> it's it's both i would say you know it's it's the one we were most excited about and at first i think that the challenge was like the scope of it like how do we do justice to this and not make a giant team you know like like what kind of game could we make and and so that's been the challenge for us is just because uh, we do want to scope it we, we we're pretty ambitious guys and at vigil we were super ambitious and we always did things the hard way and you know it's like oh let's make a whole new character for the sequel yeah. i'm sure we'll still do some of that yeah <laughs> uh, but we're trying really hard to like not bite off more than we can chew you know and just stick to the the vision of the studio and like you know, how, <laughs> what kind of game we can build and still be happy coming to work every day, you know, so, um, yeah. I think with, I don't know if I answered Yeah, I think the, the things we would, we would say about Project X is that the central strength of the studio is going to be Joe and what he does best. So doing something that's character-driven, that's, I think that's probably obvious. Um, we're never going to be defined by our technology. We're going to be defined by our storytelling and our cool characters. You know, we love games that have RPG elements. Regardless of the format the game would take, you can be sure that there's going to be some of that in the game. Um, you know, that it's going to be stylish and visually expressive. And we want there to be a sort of a sense of intimacy when people play it. That 
uh, maybe that's one of the things we all sort of romanticize about the old school games is is they there's something about them felt intimate and i think we want to recapture some of that um no matter how big the game were to get so but that's probably the easiest way i could think of to sum up what we're going for in terms of the feel and what we want to evoke with project x you know obviously you're being uh cagey about the the game itself but are there can you point to you know perhaps you know other independent games you've looked at that inspired you to think this is you know these guys are doing what we want to do it's it's you know they're they're not making compromises in terms of what they want to accomplish they're being risky like are, are there games out there that w- were kind of aha moments that made you guys think this is something we could do as well yeah for me there are some personal ones and they're not at all i would say i wouldn't use them as examples of this game is cool. That's the kind of game we want to make. Yeah, that's yeah. I, I don't but, mean this. I'm not trying to tease out mechanics sure. through games you like, but <laughs> yeah. Minecraft GTA. Minecraft yeah. GTA. <laughs> um, awesome. It like when I saw Chasm, Chasm and Hyperlight Drifter, those games. I was like, man, these guys just love this game that they're making. It's so obvious. They, there's so much style. There's <laughs> You know, the, the presentation is simple, but they just felt so rich, and uh, um, you could just sense the passion for the game and the developer. And, you know, even if, no matter how they pay for the game, there's that, I think there's an indie spirit people is, people associate with games like that. They, it could be by a team with tons of experience and be paid for by a publisher, but still have that indie spirit if it just is presented with so much. It's just, they're losing the style. Hotline Miami was another big one. When I played Hotline Miami, I just thought, holy shit, these guys are just making an amazing... They didn't care. <laughs> All they cared about was putting every ounce of style they could possibly think of. It, in some ways, games like Hotline Miami are intimidating because you're like, man, they just they did not pull any punches. It's just so dripping with awesome style. Like, how do we how do we get that same thing but still make the kind of games that you know are our strength? Yeah, and I think I would I would go as far as to say that you know unless someone put a gun to my head. And even then, I would, I would choose death now. But we would probably <laughs> always make games that, you know, have that sort of, it's like adventure, RPG, uh, you know, fantasy worlds, whether that's sci-fi, whatever, just stuff that's not on Earth, you know, realism, all that stuff. That's the devil. Like, we, we don't like games like that. Or, or that's not the kind of stuff we want to work on. So it'll always be, you know, that sort of stuff, whether it's presented in like a Metroidvania type side scroller or you know a traditional RPG or whatever, like those are the kind of games that get us excited. So I would, you know, I would confidently say that any game we ever do will be, you know, something that that has that sort of like feel. Regardless of how Darksiders actually sold and, and how it was received critically, although it did, did pretty well, the thing I, I'm most proud of when I look back on it was the fan reaction to it. And I think a lot of that is, is tied to how much style the game has, and Darksiders just had a ton of it. it. We definitely wore our hearts on our sleeves, like the inspiration for a lot of the game and the mechanics, those were obvious. Um, and we want to keep, I think we want to keep making those types of games. You know, I, I, there there was a lot of passion in Dark Souls. We want to put a lot of it into what we're doing now, um, and uh, just do that. But do that in a, on a smaller scale. Something we can do with uh, a, a, a leaner group of guys. How do you? Yeah. How do you? Oh, go ahead. No, I was I you know I, I was thinking of like back in the day when Interplay had that the tagline like 
by gamers for gamers or whatever. And I thought like, hey, that's really cool. I, I, I think we're, like, we're fans of games. That's why we do it. Like it, it's, it is a love and a passion. I, I think that that sort of is what we always strive for is like, you know, we always pay, you know, homage to, to the, the great games of the past. And like, you know, whether it's like a, like blatant or just like a, you know, <laughs> uh, a subtle nod, uh, you know, we love games and we sort of like, we'll always strive for that, whether it's like, you know, next gen Darksiders type game or something smaller. Yeah. It'll always reflect in the game. We can't help it. <laughs> How do you guys feel about the Darksiders games now that you have sort of some distance from them and, you know, you didn't exactly, you know, die from two into three and, you know, that you've got some distance from that franchise? Like, how does it sit with you, you know, this this ways out? I swear every time I fire those games up, I'm more I'm more in love with them. Darksiders 2 also, I mean, I think part of the reason we didn't dive directly into Darksiders 3 was that after having worked on Darksiders for eight I guess eight years, nine, something like that. If you count the time we were working on it in pre-production before THQ acquired Vigil, we felt like we were ready for a break. And I don't think I was able to look at Dark Shadows 2 with an objective eye. Like you tend to only see the flaws, especially if you are very critical of your own work. Um, we never, we never blew smoke up our own, our own rear ends. Like we, we saw the flaws in Dark Shadows 1 and 2. And, uh, but going back and playing them now, I'm like, Damn, those we made some pretty good games. I'm, I'm really, I just feel pride now when I play them because I still see that they hold some relevance. You know, people can mention Dark Shadows and it still you know gets picked up by press and by social media. People talk about it, and the fact that Dark Shadows has, has carried some, still has weight and resonance now, years later, even when there's not another sequel that's announced to be in production, it's just cool. You know, it's, it's something that we feel a lot of pride about. And sure, there are things that I would absolutely do. Um, differently if I was given the chance, you know, to, imp- to improve Darksiders 1 and 2 both. We're just, like I said, we're our biggest critics, but they're they're cool games. I'm, I, I, just, I feel a lot of pride when I play them now. Yeah, that's a good way to put it, is like, I, I do... When you're working on it, you, you all you see is the flaws, but yeah, when you watch like people's YouTube, like, you know, playthroughs or, you know, like, read like the comments from some people that are like super into it, like, you you do sort of take a step back and go like oh yeah it is pretty cool actually wow like even years later i mean i can still go like oh god i hate that dialogue uh, like, <laughs> it's you know it it does like more often than not i'm sort of like taken aback and go like man that was pretty cool actually like <laughs> you know for like a new a new franchise to just it's like oh it's angels and demons and they destroy the earth and the four horsemen get framed and yeah, it's like it was pretty like pretty out there i think I'm, I'm glad that we got to like do something on that scale for like a new studio especially i'm definitely glad i have it in my gameography yeah ryan i have to imagine that you know given you know how everything unfolded with vigilant thq and then everything that unfolded with with crytek that some of scoping this new studio and this new project must come from a place of having being able to exert a little more control over the future where if you're going to fail it's your own failures as opposed to being caught in the the larger storm of companies yeah sure i think there are a couple there are a couple of uh kind of maybe cliche sayings, but they definitely ring true and have motivated us to do this. One of them is, you know, invest in yourself. Another is, yeah, if you're, if you're going to fail, fail on your own terms. 
And then the other was this one, this is a real salient point um, that I, I read. It was part of a larger article, but it said something like, just think about, and this was most relevant when we were at THQ and we were at Crytek. It's like, if you think about how many people are there above you that could make a decision that ruins your day? And, you know, when you're a part of a, of a large corporate environment, that the answer can be quite a few. Um, and uh, in some ways, you, you will always be working with people. So you can, never, you can never avoid that. But what you want to do is you want to try and put yourself in a position to have as much say in your own destiny and your own fate as possible. And that's part of the reason we did this. And, uh, you know, it wouldn't be true to say at all that as a result of the experience with THQ or, or uh uh, Crytek that we want to avoid working with big publishers because that's not true at all because you can we had a lot of great relationships uh, at THQ we really did and uh, it's just we do definitely want to do whatever we can to try and keep our destiny in our own hands and so that's always what you strive for and even if you can't achieve that completely as long as you're as long as it's a goal of yours to uh, do as much as you can you will be in a better position than you were if you weren't trying so yeah. It is amazing how often Ryan still ruins my day, though. <laughs> <laughs> look, I got to exert the control wherever I can. At least you can look him in the eye and yell at him about it, though, as opposed yeah. to just some some email chain that comes through. Yeah, exactly. Um, this is a very vague question, but I, I've never felt uh, the way that I do now in that I have no idea what video games are going to look like in five years. Like I, I feel like the, the industry is in a very strange place that is, that is changing at a, at a pace that feels uh, like it hasn't in the past. I'm, I'm curious what your guys take is on that, you know, given that you're striking out now to be independent, you feel like this is an opportunity that, you know, is, is creatively and commercially viable. Like what is, what is your feeling on where we're at right now and where we're going? Or is the fact that we don't know, part of the part of the fun i think for me not knowing is part of the fun like you know because it's almost like a split right you have the the indie studios that are making successful stuff you have everything moving toward digital download you know there's like awesome stuff on steam you know by these small developers then you have like the next next gen that's developing like you know oculus stuff and like virtual reality craziness and it's like you know those are those are really different like they're like i don't think i can't remember such a huge split before I, pretty much everyone was like doing the same thing it's like oh we're doing 16-bit oh now we're doing 32-bit you know like whose processor is faster it was always like everyone was kind of developing the same thing but one-upping each other slightly and now it's like all over the i would never have guessed that catapulting birds at like structures and knocking them down would be like you know so huge that there would be candies and stuff or even minecraft is an amazing example um and then you know i mean minecraft looks like a game like visual graphically that could have been made 20 years ago right but if i show that to my kids and i'm like hey would you rather play you know this call of duty or mine all they want to do is minecraft right so you're like okay you know there's there are other elements that are con contributing to the success of the games now that aren't all about you know all the crazy visual flair and stuff and and you know but but the games that do that well are also extremely successful so they're sort of like yeah it's like who's gonna win who knows and the, the best part is who cares we can actually do the, what we want to do like what we're passionate about and there's a market for it you know somewhere within this vast 
uh, expanse. And that's what's exciting to me is that because no one knows, we don't have to like follow the rules. It's like, well, we could be wrong, but you could also be wrong. Like, you know, there's no one that can tell you what, what it's going to be like in five years. You know, it's possible everyone will be doing crazy virtual reality, you know, MMOs where we're all living in some, you know, alternate world. But, you know, but the smaller games might also, like... Yeah, I think for me, the diversity is what's most striking. There's just the, the number of platforms and the ways you can reach people with games. It's so, it's, I think you made a good point talking about this, this 16-bit, the 32-bit, the 64-bit. That felt like everybody was running the same race. Now, it, you know, we're running different races on different racetracks and completely different leagues between, you know, the console wars, Microsoft and, and Sony battling it out, Nintendo's off doing their own thing, you know, and then how mobile devices are fighting for market share. PC is starting to make a big comeback, especially thanks to indie games, because it's such a great platform to get your game out there without needing to run through a bunch of hoops that you would put your game on consoles. But even that's changing to where Microsoft and Sony are making deliberate strides to be more you know, independent developer friendly and Oculus coming on board. And there's just, there's so many ways to put games in people's hands. And it almost sounds daunting, like with all these different mechanisms for delivering games, surely some of them are going to die. But the other thing that's crazy to think about is pretty soon there won't be, I mean, we're probably only a generation or two away from being at a point where every single person alive has grown up with video games. I mean, everybody will be a user, you know, people, the the base is going to get bigger and bigger and bigger parents right now. You know, I grew up in kind of one of the the biggest generations, the earliest generations of gamers. Certainly there are a few that are older than me, but like with the Atari and 8-bit stuff, that's kind of where it started. And I have my kids that are into games and I'm going to be, I'm going to be a grandparent who is into video games, playing grandparent, you know, playing games with my grandkids and what that's going to do for the market, the number of games people are interested in, the types of games, the way we play it. I'm going to be some old fogey that wants to sit on my console or my PC. Kids are going to be playing and, you know, virtual reality headsets. They plug directly into their cell phones, you know, while they're like tweeting live, even some of the stuff that's going on with Twitch and people, spectating games becoming big business. You know, games were invented to turn TV into something interactive, and now games are becoming passive again by becoming a spectator sport. It's just, the diversity is absolutely striking, and it's just only going to get bigger. Pretty soon, everybody alive will be into video games, or will have grown up with them. Yeah, if That's you amazing. told me five years ago, like, hey, check this out. We're doing this game, League of Legends, and we're going to be able to fill stadiums with people... <laughs> watching <laughs> this rts looking game on a, a giant screen i'd be like shut up man you're I, that's ridiculous like, that's not possible so it's crazy but it's good crazy right it's exciting and you know it's sort of like you know g- like gamers used to be like geek culture and it was sort of like i don't tell anyone i play these bard's tale or whatever uh but now it's like it's cool. Like no, Bar's, Bar's Tale. <laughs> I, <don't know. laughs> I was thinking of the nerdiest fucking game. Wizardry? Yeah. Whatever, man. I, I like had a Commodore 64 and I played a lot of RPGs on there. But uh, but yeah, it's not quite... It's pretty like mainstream now. It's like, you know, you can be a cool guy and be like, hey, come play video games at my house, man. Bring some beers. Yeah. And we're like, you know, it's... There's something for everyone, like you said. Even grandpas. 
I think the coolest thing too about stuff like what's happened with mobile and in the independent movement is that people now are back when games was an arm rate arms race. You're talking again, sixteen to thirty-two, sixty-four, but whatever. It was it was driven largely by you know how good do the graphics look in you know EGM and other magazines. And now because people play games on their phones, old pixel art has 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 had this renaissance. People no longer expect to only play games they enjoy that look visually stunning. People, it's now a viable way to make a game. Pixel art is viable. 2D games are viable. Epic, AAA, amazing stuff is viable. Gamers don't care. They'll play good games uh, presented to them in any way, as long as the experience is interesting. The experience just has to be interesting. Stylish and interesting, and people will play it. The market's wide open now. If you want to make a pixel art game, you're not, you're not that niche anymore. I mean, there's the games out there that do it. Minecraft proves that. Holy mother. So if you guys are obviously in the early days of, of getting all this stuff together and, and, and getting the project in the studio together, but what is, can you give any sort of vague sense of like, when should people expect to, to hear more, get a better sense of what's going on? Like, is this something like, Hey, two years from now, we'll finally show the game or, or this is something that, you know, in a reasonable period of time, we're going to learn more about, you know, what project X actually is. I don't know. Joe is Joe is terrible at keeping secrets. Pretty much, he comes to me once. Can't we once just tell him? Let's he, he comes to me once twice. He goes, "I'm just going to tweet it right now. I'm just going to tweet everybody a picture of what I'm drawing. They're going to lose their minds." I'm like, just, just relax. Um, but again, you know, talking about the diversity, of, uh, it'll be months. It'll be a few months. Yeah, it's not going to be like, oh, next year. It'll be within the next three months. I'd be shocked if we are not like ready to show and talk about stuff. So. Yeah, but I assume it's going to depend too on you know because right now we're evaluating our different options for how we're going to fund the studio and fund the project, and that could affect some of our decision making. But yeah, I don't think the game is not going to the game itself. We we don't want it to take years, so the announcement sure can't. Would you consider you know crowdfunding is obviously something that's pretty popular these days. Is that something that's on the table, or are you trying to keep the the funding uh, more private? No, it's definitely, we would consider all options right now. That's That gets back to the, the diversity thing, right? So at this point, there are so many different ways to, to achieve your goals that you're kind of, it would be a little foolish for us to take any of them off the table or to dismiss many of them out of hand, right? So it's it's def, definitely an option, yeah. I will say we don't want to solely rely on Kickstarter. It won't be a situation where it's like, you know, this won't get made without your help kind of thing. Like, I don't want to put ourselves in a position. I mean, that would be a massive help. And obviously, if the fans are into it, then you already have, like, you know, a sort of guaranteed, <laughs> you know, consumer base, which is amazing. That's what's really cool about crowdfunding. Um, but, you know, we don't want to solely rely on that because, you know, we do want this to happen. We don't want it to all be hinging on one, <laughs> you know, one thing. So, yeah. Uh, but, yeah, it's, it's a good option. It's awesome that that's even, uh, you know, available to creators right now. Yeah, I mean, the game, the game we want it to be um, intimate in scope, but it's not the kind of thing that we're going to make just with, like, you know, a couple hundred grand. I mean, it's it's going to be it's going to be a quality product. So we'll probably have to partner with somebody in some way. The nice thing about Kickstarter is you can do that, have money so that the people who are in, I guess you could say investing or backing or whatever you want to you know, call kick, you know, participating in Kickstarter, those people will have the confidence putting their money down, knowing that we brought something else to the table. Like we're giving a little something up to help, to help pay for this too. It's not, 
100% reliant on their money, which makes you know, putting some money down really risky for them. What Kickstarter really allows developers to do that want to make games of that like small to medium scope is retain as much creative control as they possibly can because it takes some of the risk. If you have an investor or publisher or somebody working with you, you can take some of the burden of risk off them. And uh, that lets you create, you know, keep a little bit more, have more creative influence. So that's what's awesome about Kickstarter. But exactly how we're going, how we're going to go about paying for the game, you know, we're going to stay as agile to that as we can and, um, and, and be sure to go with the flow because, yeah, there's, there are a lot of ways you could skin this cat now. 